Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Soul Path Podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe if this podcast speaks to you. Today, I want to talk about one of those eternal enigmas, that pressing question, where do we come from? Or more specifically, where do you come from? And thinking about that question is one of those that just kind of leads down a lot of different rabbit trails, right? We can look at it at a lot of different layers. Where did I come from? Well, I mean, in some sense, for myself, I came from Alaska. You know, I was born and raised in the Alaskan wilderness by a single mom. My mother was a hippie. My father was a biker and the whole bit, right? I was, uh, that's where I came from. Those are my roots, the roots of my personality, of my being, and all of that. So in, in some sense, I could examine kind of the environmental source from whence I come. And you could do the same. Where's your hometown? What's the culture that you come from? And, and how did those influence and shape who you are today? Where did I come from? Where did you come from? But at another layer altogether, we could look at, we would look at, well, uh, I came from my my mother and my father, so there's this biological contribution to my genetic makeup, right? And they came from their mother and their father, so my grandparents' genetic contribution to my own makeup, to my own DNA, to that blueprint of who am I. So somewhere in between, you know, in the midst of the environmental circumstances and the, and the social conditioning, the cultural context of where we come from is also just the genetic seed or the genetic blueprint of where we came from. And we can look at it in both ways. It's really, really, really fascinating. And when we begin to think about it like that, isn't it true that I come from my mother and father who comes from their mother and father who comes from their mother and father who comes from their mother and father and so on and so forth. How many generations back? Maybe somebody in your family is a fan of genealogy. I know my grandfather was, and before he passed, he bequeathed to me a book of our family's lineage that goes back to the 1100s to, to, the, to England. And it's, it's fascinating to me uh, that we can trace kind of our ancestral, our family lineage back, you know, almost a thousand years. And probably some people can go further than that. Some people have taken the, the genetic, like the 23andMe, these, these uh, get your DNA and find out your ancestor kind of tests. And some people go back and think, oh, well, you know, my ancestors were, were cavemen or Neanderthals or were this or were that. That's my, my source. That's where I came from. And while it's true, we can't necessarily relate to, you know, being alive in the dark ages or, or being alive uh, during the caveman era, right? We cannot escape the fact that there was a direct connection. It's an unbroken chain, an unbroken chain of contribution from the cave days on up through the dark ages, on up through the enlightenment, on up through the industrial revolution, the information technological revolution, on up through the year 2021, right here, right now, it's an unbroken and continuous chain. So where you come from is all of that. And here it gets, we could get real philosophical. We could start, you know, get diving into the ontological and the, the teleological arguments for, for God, for good old divinity, or for the source of all things. 
what is the source of all things? Well, that gets into the weeds just a little bit. That's kind of the rabbit trail as well. You know, some people would say, well, God created the world. Okay, well, who created God? Well, God didn't create, you know, God God just, just is, right? And there is the kind of the fundamental limitation of comprehension. We cannot conceive of anything before the beginning. There was something, or maybe there was nothing, and then there was something, or maybe it was always something, but always there is what we know, something to be the source where we came from. How far back we choose to explore that connection is a personal choice, depending on your philosophical bent, depending on how fascinated and curious you are. I find my source in that sense, going way back, is rooted in the eternal enigma and the great mystery of life. That's where I come from. I was born of this cosmic function that I can't quite comprehend, I can't quite understand, but I can acknowledge the majesty of it, the mystery of it, the wonder of it. It is incredible to be alive. It's this amazing experience to be a human being and to know that I'm alive. I'm me here now, and there's nobody else like me. There's nobody else like you. So where do I come from? It's this unique, complex, you know, interwoven chain of events chain of contribution, unbroken and continuous contribution of, of infinite factors that I, it's infathomable, incomprehensible. And yet I can appreciate it. I can appreciate the fact that my ancestors walked their walk, they walked their path in life to produce offspring, to produce lessons, to produce wisdom that's been passed down through the ages through my own family lineage, such that I was born into the context in my own life, again, uh, raised by a single mom without running water and electricity in the wilderness of Alaska, you know, therein came a set of lessons that were unique to me. I come from all of these things, but I, I can really trace my own origin or my the source of my personality, the source of who I am as far as what I have to offer or what I bring to the table. In my, in my mature state as a human being in this lifetime, back to my beginning, back to my roots. I'm rooted in my family's history. And yet even with that, it's interesting. I am not just my family's history. See, my family history is, well, a little bit rocky. And there are, there are a lot of uh, there's a history of broken relationships. There's a history of abuse, substance abuse, and spousal abuse, and just all kinds of things like that that are just dark and ugly and painful and, and harmful. And I would say, looking back through the generations, a few generations back, each generation has tried to to solve one of those problems and try to improve and improve and improve. And so I see myself coming from those origins of, of difficult, broken relationships, broken home, and all of that, I see myself now as creating a new legacy. So where did I come from? Yes, I come from this place, but where am I at now? It's not just that place. I'm not representing that. I am transcending that. I am creating a new legacy, and perhaps you are creating a new legacy too. Interesting when it comes to creating a new legacy, we have to learn the lessons of our ancestors, of our family lineage, in order to 
transcend them. And in order to transcend the patterns that those lessons impart in our life, if perhaps you have uh, substance abuse, which is a very common uh, common issue, right? To, to be born into a family that, with an alcoholic or drugs or, or any type of addiction, uh, any type of substance abuse or emotional abuse or even physical abuse, people are born into hard times, hard circumstances. And those hard lessons are, are harmful. They hurt the heart. They hurt the body and the mind. And then and this is all happening in our, our formative years, our childhood years. And then we become adults and we're trying to function within this this pain, we're carrying it with us oftentimes, uh, unable to take the time or unaware that we need to take the time to allow ourselves to heal so that we can shed those, uh, ultimately those beliefs and assumptions that we carry with us from childhood so that we can begin to believe there is a better way so that we can begin to look at the lessons in the light of awareness and learn from them what not to do. Where do I come from? I come from this place where everybody was, you know, doing this and doing that. And what I've learned is that that's not the way that I want to do it. So now I'm going to focus forward and I'm going to look and I'm going to learn about what I want to do, uh, what I want my life to look like. Here's an example. When I was a kid, I didn't have a father figure. And so never once in my whole entire life have I ever called anybody dad. And I used to say that with this callous cavalier, like I never called anybody dad, like I was a tough guy and I had a chip on my shoulder and I was rebellious and mean in my early adulthood. And that later broke when I began to realize and acknowledge just how deeply that hurt. When I began to see these limiting patterns in my life that were all kind of revolving around the subconscious inertia that was rooted in father issues, I had to realize, wow, I, I, got, some, uh, I got some inner work to do here, some hard work at the heart to examine how do I feel, why do I feel those ways, to allow myself to say it, to share it, to feel it, so that I could let those emotions out, deal with the agony and the heartache, so that I could be free of it and not be carrying that baggage with me any longer. But during that time of my life growing up, not having my own father figure left me with a void. And I had the opportunity. I would see other parents, other fathers, having good parent interaction, good father um, examples of being a good father. One day I was at a, a friend's house. I was probably in my early 20s and having kids was a long ways away from my mind. But I, I was there and the family had three kids and everybody was hanging out and the adults were having a good conversation and the kids were running around having a blast, but it was time for them to get ready for bed. And so the father said, Hey kids, it's time for you guys to get ready for bed. Go upstairs and brush your teeth, please. And the little kid, Oh dad, but we're having so much fun. Dad. Well, do we have to dad? We're having a blast. And the dad just looked at that boy and with all of the love I could ever imagine a father having for their child said, I know, I understand. And that's all he said. There was a silence there for just a moment as the kid looked into the dad's eyes, the dad looked into the kid's eyes, and that child knew that his father had asked him to go brush their teeth and go to bed. He knew that throwing a fit, a tantrum, was not going to bring anything but negative consequences, and just honored that. 
the father did not feel threatened, didn't feel like he needed to come down with an iron fist or, you know, anything like that. He just said, I know, I understand. And that to me was such a beautiful example of what it means to be a father. And so I began to accumulate these instances or these images in my mind, these experiences, wherein I saw somebody being a good father. And I always thought, well, when when I uh, have the opportunity to be a dad, I want to be like this and like this and like this. I want to I want to uh, include or incorporate, integrate the best lessons that I could learn from all of these other father figures who didn't even know I was looking at them uh, as an example of a father figure. So this is a way in which I was over time able to overcome some of the <clears throat> struggles associated with where I came from or my my own personal history, my own personal origin at that at that level, the level of um, social patterns, family patterns. So now that I am a father and I had the opportunity when I was, uh, when my daughter was born, I was in finance and I could go out and make lots of money one month and not so much the next month kind of a deal. And my wife was uh, well into her career and doing really well as a federal employee. And so we decided uh, that I would be the primary care provider. I would stay home. I would be Mr. Mom. I would support my wife and her career so she could continue to ascend and and shatter the glass ceiling. And so that I, you know, we would have one parent home to take care of the child. And that was a radical adjustment. It was a radical adjustment to be Mr. Mom, to be coming from, you know, this, this man's world kind of mentality to, and not knowing what a dad is supposed to look like, but I had all these, you know, vague ideas kind of clumped together. Uh, And so it was a learning experience and it's been a tremendous experience, an absolutely wonderful experience. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, trade a second of it. You know, there, there's nothing more rewarding to me than being a father or being a family man, being there to support my wife and my, and my child. So where do I come from? Well, how much does that matter? maybe is a question, right? Does it matter that I come from a broken home? Does it matter that I come from this place or that place? Well, yes and no, but you get to decide. How do you want to take the circumstances, the context of your early life and the stories that are all wrapped up, the identity that you have that is wrapped up in those early stories and bring it into who are you now? Where do you come from ultimately leads you down a path to where you're at right now. And where you're at right now is always an opportunity to ask, who am I? Who am I now? Yes, I am the descendant of ancestors, of rugged individualism, of those survivors that were out there living off the land. Yes, that is that is my lineage. And that beats true in me, the, the ultimate freedom of self-reliance and the you know, the love and connection with nature and these things, you know, I will choose to honor those elements of where I come from that still serve me well. And I will choose to transcend those patterns imparted or those lessons, let go of the things that don't serve me anymore. And I invite you to do the same. So where do you come from? Do you come from a middle-class family that was relatively affluent and stable? Do you come from the streets? Were you abandoned as a child, perhaps? Were you an orphan? Did you grow up in foster homes? 
Do you come from a place that set you on a path of hard life lessons, of pain and suffering that has hardened you to where you're at now? Are you proud of your ability just to survive right now? I think a lot of people are in that place. Perhaps you come from opulence or the highest level of privilege. Perhaps both of your parents were well-educated and well-employed. Perhaps you were born into wealth and abundance that's beyond your comprehension, that you never have actually had to earn or work. It's just there. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. It's a gift, right? That's the common ground is that it's a gift. Whatever your background, wherever you come from, that context, that cultural context, that genetic context is the wrapping on the gift of life. That is the package that you get to open and explore. That who am I now, that's the gift, the gift of life and all of the things that come with that, including the hardship, including the pain and suffering, but also the joy, the pleasure, the happiness, the, the, the deep satisfaction of a job well done, the ability to go out there and achieve things, to build things, to create things. This is all part of the human experience. Well, let's place this all in context a, a little of a... Uh, taking a little bit different perspective. We're going to zoom out just a little bit, kind of zoom out to the macro cosmic level perspective, right? And I want to talk about something that is fascinating to me. This is an idea that I find absolutely fascinating, but the concept of self-directed evolution. Understand that evolution is just adaptation to our environment. So in as much as you were born into some circumstance and then you went through school, you adapted, then you moved, maybe you've relocated geographically to a different region or a different country, different state, different city, whatever, you have adapted to the environment, to social context of that area. That is the evolution of yourself. And in that process of maturing is the evolution of your personality. And there are core elements of you that are still there, that are, you're still you, but it, you're not the same you that you were 10 years ago, 10 days ago, 10 minutes ago, 10 breaths ago, and you're not the same as you will be moving out incrementally into the future. That's a really important concept, right? We're always constantly adapting and changing. And so in that sense, we're always constantly evolving ourselves. And we could look at that and say, there's a physical evolution. Our bodies are going to change and adapt. Uh, if we're sitting on the couch all the time, we're going to evolve into this kind of soft, mushy uh, person with back pain. <laughs> you know, if, if we're active, we're going to involve ourselves, uh, evolve into a more fit and strong version of ourselves. And same goes for mental. We're going to adapt to the, the stimulus of stress, stress not always necessarily being uh, a bad thing, but it's going to force us to, to learn, to change, to grow, or we're going to resist that change mentally. We're going to hold on to things, uh, beliefs and perspectives that are not uh, functional or not functioning to serve us very well, right? There are a lot of times uh, things in our mind, patterns of thinking that are, are really kind of creating a big drag, right? And so if we don't mentally evolve, I like to say you cannot understand life from a fixed point of perspective because everything's constantly changing, right? So if if you if your perspective hasn't changed in a while, then maybe it's a good time to examine that so that you can grow, so that you can evolve into a more mature, well-balanced, happy, satisfied human being. So now 
let's get into the the subtle stuff. Let's get into the esoteric elements of soul evolution, right? Where do you come from? That spark of life, boom, the X and the Y chromosome, the, the sperm and the egg, the whole bit. And from that inception of who you are, that inception of yourself has grown and matured experienced all of your life experience to be where you're at right now. That is the evolution of the soul in the simplest sense. Now, if we were to examine all of the major traditions, there are stories throughout human history across the board, regardless of the traditional lineage, that speak of life before life and life after death. In other words, uh, whether you were carried by a stork or or God placed you in the womb or you chose to come back because you were a, you know an evolved being or or whatever belief system you you adhere to or maybe you don't adhere to any and you're just curious you know there is this common theme that there's life before life which is fascinating to me because really uh, we could read books and we could read texts and we could gather stories that speak to why. But I would believe, my personal belief, is that those stories are just stories. And then if we were to truly understand the pre-birth, it would fundamentally exceed our limited cognitive comprehension, right? We, cannot, we don't have the capacity to comprehend life before life any more than we really have the capacity to comprehend life after death, right? And so looking at life after death... <clears throat> As, a, as an extension of soul evolution. So from the immature, childish, you know, childhood, kind of childish soul, you become adolescent, you become young adult, you become midlife, you become older, elder. Uh, there is no direct correlation between age and wisdom, by the way, I just state that for the record. So there are very immature, unwise and foolish people who are in in the elder stage of life, and there are very uh, mature and wise individuals in the early stages of life. So there's there's something to be said there. And it's interesting, this concept that perhaps you've heard, you know, this idea of an old soul. I was having a really excellent conversation with a dear friend recently about old souls. And she said, you know, I think you're an old soul. And I thought, <laughs> well, thank you. That's a big compliment. I think that she's an old soul as well. And the truth of the matter is I've had many people in my lifetime, random people at times, say something similar to, you know, you have an old soul or there's wisdom beyond your years. Hearing this from the time of my youth. Is it possible that my soul has gone through the cycle of life more than other souls. Some souls have gone more, some souls have gone less, but I've gone through a few cycles of life. And so I was born into this life with wisdom that was beyond my current life experience. It's a, I mean, you know, how do you know? Well, I don't know. And I would never make that claim necessarily, but I would say that to the extent other people can identify that aspect of who am I now, I would choose to honor that. I choose to honor my heart. I choose to honor my ancestors, the life lessons that have brought me here. And I would say that my soul's on a journey, just like your soul's on a journey. And ultimately, all of the where I come from is, is bringing me to this contemplation of where am I going? And death, right? That we're all born to live and die. We're all going to die. Nobody's going to make it out of life 
alive. It's impossible. So how do we reconcile with that coming to an end? You know, the, the physical evolution of our body is going to grow, adapt, get strong, and then it's going to weaken, become frail, and ultimately dissolve, right? It's going to return the elements to the soil, right? We're going to feed the earth, whether we're cremated or we're buried or what have you, you know, that physical body is going to pass away. And in as much as our mind is, is kind of captured in all this, you know, neural synaptic activity, I think that the, the idea and the concept of self that we have, the ego or the head level identity, that part of us is also going to as it has, you know, matured, evolved, adapted, and it's going to go through this process of degradation and, and mental decline, and ultimately, that part of us, our biological brain, and the and the and the sense of self associated with that, is also going to dissolve back into the eternal enigma, back into the the cosmic energy, uh, etc. Right? And we're talking about laws of physics breaking down. Period. It's just that simple. There's no escaping that. However, the element of the soul that slippery, subtle topic here is something else altogether. And that element of awareness associated with the soul, the fundamental awareness that permeates the entire cosmos, which animates the intelligent existence that we call life, is the same fundamental awareness that is the spark of awareness of our soul-level identity, of the who am I. And it is possible. Theoretical physics make it possible. Science makes it a within the realm of possibility that that part of us, whether it's a quantum aspect of self, is going to kind of blip in and out of the existence that we can observe, right? So there is the possibility that there's life after death in a dimension that we currently can't comprehend or access, right? And it is mysterious. Now, just like you know, again, that kind of that historic survey of different traditional religious lineages and teachings, they all speak to life after death, whether it's through the cycle of reincarnation or it's being born again to be with God or whatever the belief system, Native Americans believe in reincarnation, coming back, you know, the elders, the ancestral councils, there is a lot of information out there that you could, if you were curious, go research and learn. However, when we're doing this learning and acquiring of information about the potential uh, afterlife or past life, not past life, past life is, tends to be the, the pre-birth, uh, but afterlife, after death, post-life, I guess you would say, experience, you will find stories that are incredible, incredible anecdotal stories. And if you read two or three books along the lines of the same lineage, then you would, for example, if you went to a Christian bookstore and bought a bunch of books on, on life after death or encounters with God, you would find enough stories to substantiate the belief that when you die, you're going to be meeting with Jesus and be in heaven if you believe in Jesus or you know, consequently be in hell if you don't. And there are many, 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 many stories that would speak and attest to just that. People sharing their testimony or their personal experience that would lead you to believe that that is, is absolutely what's going to happen. And if that's your conviction, it's likely going to confirm that conviction and you're going to hold on to that. Similarly, if that is not your conviction, that's not your cup of tea, you could potentially be learning about you know, the ancestral councils. You could be learning about 
the cycle of reincarnation according to Buddhism or the, the levels of spiritual maturity, uh, even through Hinduism, Taoism, etc. There's this idea that you can maintain or increase your awareness, elevate that awareness and achieve a higher level of being after this current lifetime. And isn't that fascinating? And if that's something that fascinates you, then I encourage you to go out there and study and learn. Understanding the same thing. If you get three or four books in you that you've kind of chewed on, you're like, yes, yes, yes. And it speaks to you and you believe it and you hear the stories, uh, people coming back and all this kind of stuff, uh, the life after death experience, the the out-of-body experiences and that kind of thing, it's going to lead you to believe. It's going to convince you that your convictions are true and certain, and that's okay. Okay. We all are going to believe something, and that's okay. I'm here to say that. Understand, however, that others are going to understand it differently. Thus, honestly, can we really know for sure? Well, you can decide for yourself. But if I'm honest with myself, I understand that my limited comprehension and my my predisposition being a human being for uh, implicit bias or for getting information that's going to confirm my my currently held beliefs now, that's going to lead me down a path that's going to convince me that I'm right and everybody's wrong. So it then, from honesty, I move toward humility to say that, okay, well, this is just a human thing. And humans have been experiencing this for all of time. Where do I come from? Where do I go? Well, there's a lot of different ideas about that. And I, I need to have my own ideas about that and not adhere so you know, adamantly to this is the one right way and everybody else is wrong. If you find yourself holding on to a belief that says this is the one right way and everybody else is wrong, I encourage you to contemplate humility and understand in your heart your connection to God, to good old divinity, to the essence of life itself doesn't have anything to do with the ideas in your head about where you come from and where you're going. Your connection to God is not an idea in your head. It's not a belief system that's built on stuff that you get out of books. Your connection to God is a heart-level, soul-level experience that's present in the right here, right now. That's your connection to God. And understanding that is very liberating, right? So with humility, I can have my own spiritual journey, my own spiritual walk, my own connection with God. I I can talk about these concepts and these ideas. Talk about where I come from, where I'm going, but ultimately, uh, I don't have to have all the answers, and I don't have to agree with everybody, and I don't have to disagree with everybody. So, how does this play in the self-directed evolution? Kind of got off there a little bit. The evolution of the soul is the elevation of awareness. The evolution of the soul is the elevation of awareness, and what that means is that as we cultivate and elevate our own inner awareness, as we begin to bring through the tools of transformation a greater degree of presence into the perpetual and unfolding moment of now, we can begin to embody our existential human experience in a way that is far more visceral, far more real than what you might have ever previously experienced. And to the extent that we elevate our awareness, we begin to develop discernment and perception that allows us to see through our own self-deception so that we can begin to perceive reality accurately or to the highest degree of accuracy available to us, right? Understanding there's always inherent distortion when we begin to you know, filter everything we think and 
process everything through the layers of language and symbolism. And in that is an inherent distortion, let alone the fact that we're seeing and hearing. And this is all a reflection of things that are happening. And there's a delay in the mental synapses by the time it actually gets to our brain and we assign meaning to it that's already gone. And so we're looking at life right now, but what we're really processing is life that already happened is no longer real. Oh my gosh, it gets complicated, right? But we can elevate our awareness. And I'm not talking just about expanding our knowledge. I'm not talking about just uh, learning new things, uh, considering new perspectives. I'm talking about deep spiritual awareness. And if you commit yourself to the path of self-directed evolution, prioritizing the elevation of your own inner awareness is going to equip you to cultivate the best physical, mental, emotional quality of life that you can imagine. It is through awareness that we develop patterns that precipitate inner peace, that produce inner peace, in fact. Patterns that put us on a positive path with positive momentum. Patterns that, that sow seeds of great benefit and wisdom. And as we elevate our awareness, we begin to see pain in our life as an opportunity to pay attention and to learn and to grow. We begin to see life as it is, the gift of life as it is right now, as something magical, something so special about being alive. It's even sacred, right? The, the gift of life is a sacred thing. To be alive is a sacred experience. And we can cultivate that. We can enjoy that and embrace that. Where do you come from? If you really want to know where you come from, you're going to have to explore that at a level that transcends mental comprehension. You're going to have to explore that enigma at the, at the heart level, at the level of the soul, a level of inner awareness. You can know things deeply inside of you that defy the ability to put into words. You can know things deeply inside of you that you can't really describe. You can experience things in this lifetime that there's no ability to, to even talk or share about or any desire to talk and share about because it's uniquely, sacredly yours, your own sacred spiritual experience, your own sacred connection with God. This is... Uh, What's on my heart this morning, guys? So I just want to share that with you guys. You know, the, the soul path, right? The, the path of self-directed evolution, the elevation of awareness. Learn to cultivate your body. Learn to cultivate your mind, right? The mind and body are, are inextricably linked. It's not one and the other. It's really the mind, body, or the body, mind. They're, they're the same. But what's animating that and what's functioning within that is the inner awareness. And we use the elevation of awareness, the tools of transformation, tool of better breeding, the tool of uh, intelligent inquiry, and the tool of intentional presence. These are the tools of transformation. I'll say it again, the tool of better breathing, slow deep breath, get the oxygen, gives your body that ability to tune in, tune up. Intelligent inquiry is a curious exploration of infinite potential. That's really divine intent. But using the tool of intelligent inquiry to accurately analyze life and how to improve it. And then the tool of intentional presence brings us and right back into the moment repeatedly so that we can be here now because this is what's real. This is what we're working with. And it doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter necessarily where we think we're going. What matters most is that we enjoy the journey and that right here, right now, we take the opportunity to embrace it, to be grateful for the gift of life just that it is, to 
look around us, listen, because life is always talking, to extract the lessons and the wisdom and begin to apply it and integrate it into our life so that we can cultivate a higher quality of well-being and help make the world a better place. That's what we're born to do, kind of the primal purpose, to grow, to give, to connect, to contribute. And today, this is my contribution the conversation. So I want to thank you again for joining me on the Soul Path Podcast. I would like to invite you, please like, please uh, share, subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, just drop them in the box. Let me know. And I'll look forward to talking to you soon. Peace.